Gautama. In the town of Savanthi, every child knew the name of the exalted Buddha, and every house was prepared to fill the alms dish of Gautama's disciples. The silently begging ones. Near the town was Gautama's favorite place to stay, the grove of Hetavana, which the rich merchant Anatha Pindika, an obedient worshipper of the Exalted One, had given him and his people for a gift. All tales and answers which the two young ascetics had received in their search for Gautama's abode had pointed them towards this area, and arriving at Savanthi, in the very first house before the door of which they stopped to beg, food had been offered to them, and they accepted the food. And Siddhartha asked the woman who handed them the food, We would like to know, O charitable one, where the Buddha dwells, the most venerable one, for we are two samanas from the forest and have come to see him, the perfected one, and to hear the teachings from his mouth. Quote the woman, Here you have truly come to the right place, you samanas from the forest. You should know in... Jetavana, in the garden of Anathapindika, is where the exalted one dwells. There you pilgrims shall spend the night, for there is enough space for the innumerable who flock here, to hear the teachings from his mouth. This made Govinda happy, and full of joy, he exclaimed. Well, so, thus we have reached our destination and our path has come to an end. But tell us, O mother of the pilgrims, do you know him, the Buddha? Have you seen him with your own eyes? Quoth the woman. Many times I have seen him, the exalted one. On many days I have seen him walking through the alleys in silence, wearing his yellow cloak, presenting his alms dish in silence at the doors of the houses, leaving with a filled dish. Delightedly, Govinda listened and wanted to ask and hear much more, but Siddhartha urged him to walk on. They thanked and left and hardly had to ask for directions, for rather many pilgrims and monks as well from Gautama's community were on their way to the Jetavana, and since they reached it at night, there were constant arrivals shouts and talk of those who sought shelter and got it the two samanas accustomed to life in the forest found quickly and without making any noise a place to stay and rested there until the morning at sunrise they saw with astonishment what a large crowd of believers and curious people had spent the night here on all paths of the marvelous grove monks walked in yellow robes under the trees, they sat here and there in deep contemplation or in a conversation about spiritual matters. The shady gardens looked like a city full of people. Bustling like bees, the majority of the monks went out with their alms dish to collect food in town for their lunch, the only meal of the day. The Buddha himself, the enlightened one, was also in the habit of taking this walk to beg in the morning. Siddhartha saw him, and he instantly recognized him, as if a god had pointed him out to him. He saw him, a simple man, in a yellow robe, 
bearing the alms dish in his hand, walking silently. Look here, Sir Arthur said quietly to Govinda. This one is the Buddha. Attentively, Govinda looked at the monk in the yellow robe, who seemed to be in no way different from the hundreds of other monks. And soon Govinda also realized, this is the one, and they followed him and observed him. The Buddha went on his way modestly and deep in his thoughts. His calm face was neither happy nor sad. It seemed to smile quietly and inwardly. With a hidden smile, quiet, calm, so resembling a healthy child, the Buddha walked, wore the robe, and placed his feet just as all his monks did, according to a precise rule. But his face and his walk was quietly lowered glance, his his quietly dangling hand and even every finger on his quietly dangling hand expressed peace, expressed perfection, did not search, did not imitate, breathed softly in an unwithering calm, in an unwithering light, an untouchable peace. Thus, Gautama walked towards the town to collect alms, and the two samanas recognized him solely by the perfection of his calm, by the quietness of his appearance, in which there was no searching, no desire, no imitation, no effort to be seen, only light and peace. Today, we will hear the teachings from his mouth, said Govinda. Siddhartha did not answer. He felt little curiosity for the teachings. He did not believe that they would teach him anything new, but he had, just as Govinda had, heard the contents of this Buddhist teachings again and again. Though these reports only represented second or third hand information, but attentively he looked at Govinda, oh, at Gotama's head, his shoulders, his feet, his quietly dangling hand, and it seemed to him as if every joint of every finger of this hand was of these teachings, spoke of, breathed of, exhaled the fragrant of, glistened of truth. This man, this Buddha, was truthful, down to the gesture of his last finger. This man was holy. Never before Siddhartha had venerated a person so much. Never before he had loved a person as much as this one. They both followed the Buddha until they reached the town and then returned in silence, for they themselves intended to abstain from on this day. They saw Gautama returning when he ate, could not even have satisfied a bird's appetite, and they saw him retiring into the shade of the mango trees. But in the evening, when the heat cooled down and everyone in the camp started to bustle about and gather around, they heard the Buddha's teaching. They they heard his voice, and it was also perfected, was of perfect calmness, was full of peace. Gautama taught the teaching of suffering, of the origin of suffering, of the way to relieve suffering, calmly... And clearly, his quiet speech flowed on. Suffering was life, full of suffering was the world, but salvation from suffering had been found. Salvation was obtained by him who would walk the path of Buddha, 
with a soft yet firm voice, the exalted one spoke, taught the four main doctrines, taught the eightfold path. Patiently, he went the usual path of the teachings, of the examples of the repetition. Brightly and quietly, his voice hovered over the listeners like a light, like a starry sky. When the Buddha... Night had already fallen and did his speech. Many a pilgrim stepped forward and asked to be accepted into the community, sought refuge in the teachings, and Gautama accepted them by speaking. You have heard the teachings well. It has come to you well. Thus, join us and walk in holiness to put an end to all suffering. Behold, then, Govinda, the shy one also stepped forward and spoke. I also take my refuge in the exalted one and his teachings. And he asked to be accepted into the community of his disciples and was accepted. Right afterwards, when the Buddha had retired for the night, Govinda turned to Siddhartha and spoke eagerly. Siddhartha, it is not my place to scold you. We have both heard the exalted one. We have both perceived the teachings. Govinda has heard the teachings. He has taken refuge in it. But you, my honored friend, don't you also want to walk the path of salvation? Would you want to hesitate? Do you want to wait any longer? Siddhartha awakened as if he had been asleep when he heard Govinda's words. For a long time, he looked into Govinda's face. Then he spoke quietly in a voice without mockery. Govinda, my friend, now you have taken this step. Now you have chosen this path. Always, oh Govinda, you've been my friend. You've always walked one step behind me. Often I have thought, won't Govinda for once also take a step by himself without me out of his soul, own soul. Behold, now you've turned into a man and are choosing your path for yourself. I wish that you would go it up to its end, oh my friend, that you shall find salvation. Govinda, not completely understanding it yet, repeated his question in an impatient tone. Speak up, I beg you, my dear. Tell me, since it could not be any other way that you also, my learned friend, will take your refuge with the exalted Buddha. Siddhartha placed his hand on Govinda's shoulder. You failed to hear my good wish for you, O Govinda. I'm repeating it. I wish that you would go this path up to its end, that you shall find salvation. In this moment, Govinda realized that his friend had left him, and he started to weep. Siddhartha, he explained, exclaimed lamentingly. <laughs> Siddhartha kindly spoke to him. Don't forget, Govinda, that you are now one of the samanas of the Buddha. You have renounced your home and your parents, renounced your birth and possessions, renounced your free will, renounced all friendship. This is what the teachings require. This is what the exalted one wants. This is what you wanted for yourself. Tomorrow, O Govinda, I'll leave you. For a long time, the friends continued walking in the grove. For a long time, they lay there and found no sleep. And over and over again, Govinda urged his friend he should tell him why he would not want to seek refuge in Gautama's teachings.
what fault he would find in these teachings. But Siddhartha turned him away every time and said, Be content, Govinda. Very good are the teachings of the Exalted One. How could I find a fault in them? Very early in the morning, a follower of Buddha, one of his oldest monks, went through the garden and called all those to him, who had, as novices, taken their refuge in the teachings, to dress them up in the yellow robe and to instruct them in the first teaching and duties of their position. Then Govinda broke loose, embraced once again his childhood friend, and left with the novices. But Siddhartha walked through the grove, lost in thought. Then he happened to meet Gautama, the exalted one. And when he greeted him with respect, and the Buddha's glance was so full of kindness and calm, the young man summoned his courage and asked the venerable one for the permission to talk to him. Silently, the exalted one nodded his approval. Quote Siddhartha, Yesterday, O exalted one, I had been privileged to hear your wonderful teachings. Together with my friend, I had come from afar to hear your teachings. And now my friend is going to stay with your people. He has taken his refuge with you, but I will again start my pil- oh, start on my pilgrimage. As you please, the venerable one spoke politely. Too bold is my speech, Siddhartha continued. But I do not want to leave the exalted one without having honestly, honestly told him my thoughts. Does it please the venerable one to listen to me for one moment longer? Silently, the Buddha nodded his approval. Quote Siddhartha, One thing, O most venerable one, I have admired in your teachings most of all. Everything in your teachings is perfectly clear. It's proven you are presenting the world as a perfect chain, a chain which is never and nowhere broken, an eternal chain, the links of which are caused, causes and effects. Never before this has been seen so clearly. Never before. For this has been presented so irrefutably. Truly, the heart of every Brahmin has to be stronger with love. Once he has seen the world through your teachings, perfectly connected, without gaps, clear as crystal, not depending on chance, not depending on gods, whether it may be good or bad, whether living according to it would be suffering or joy, I do not wish to discuss. Possibly this is not essential but the uniformity of the world that everything which happens to happens is connected that the great and the small things are all encompassed by the same forces of time by the same law of causes of coming into being and of dying this is what shines brightly out of your exalted teachings oh perfected one but according to your own teachings this unity and necessary sequence of all things is nevertheless broken in one place through a small gap this world of unity is invaded by something alien something new something which had not been there before and which cannot be demonstrated and cannot be proven these are your teachings of overcoming the world of salvation but with this small gap with this small breach the entire eternal and uniform law of the world is breaking apart again and again and becomes void. Please forgive me for expressing this objection. Quietly, Gotama had listened to him, unmoved. Now he spoke the perfected one with his kind, 
with his polite and clear voice. You've heard the teachings, O son of Brahman, and good for you that you've thought about it thus deeply. You've found a gap in it, an error. You should think about this further, but be warned, O seeker of knowledge, of the thicket of opinions and of arguing about words. There is nothing to opinions. They may be beautiful or ugly, smart or foolish. Everyone can support them or discard them. But the teachings you've heard from me are no opinion. And their goal is not to explain the world to those who seek knowledge. They have a different goal. Their goal is salvation from suffering. This is what Gotama teaches, nothing else. I wish that you, O exalted one, would not be angry with me, said the young man. I have not spoken to you like this to argue with you, to argue about words. You are truly right. There is little to opinions. But let me say this one more thing. I have not doubted in you for a single moment. I have not doubted for a single moment that you are Buddha, that you have reached the goal, the highest goal towards which so many thousands of Brahmins and sons of Brahmins are on their way. You have found salvation from death. It has come to you in the course of your own search, of your own path, through thoughts, through meditation, through realizations, through enlightenment. It has not come to you by means of teachings. And thus is my thought, O exalted one. Nobody will obtain salvation by means of teachings. You will not be able to give, convey and say to anybody, O venerable one, in words and through teachings that what has happened to you in the hour of enlightenment. The teachings of the enlightened Buddha contain much. It teaches many to live righteously, to avoid evil. But there is one thing which these, which these so clear, these so venerable teachings do not contain. They do not contain the mystery of what the exalted one has experienced for himself. He alone, among hundreds of thousands, this is what... I have thought and realized when I have heard the, the teachings. This is why I am continuing my travels not to seek other better teachings, for I know there are none, but to depart from all teachings and all teachers and to reach my goal by myself or to die. But often I'll think of this day, O exalted one, and of this hour when my eyes beheld a holy man. The Buddha's eyes quietly looked to the ground, quietly in perfect equanimity. His inscrutable face was smiling. I wish, the venerable one spoke slowly, that your thoughts shall not be in error, and you shall reach the goal. But tell me, have you seen the multitude of my samanas, my many brothers, who have taken refuge in the teachings. And do you believe, O stranger, O Samana, do you believe that it would be better for them all to abandon the teachings and to return into the life, the world, and of desires? 
Far is such a thought from my mind, exclaimed Siddhartha. I wish that they shall all stay with the teachings, that they shall reach their goal. It is not my place to judge another person's life. Only for myself, for myself alone, I must decide. I must choose. I must refuse salvation from the self is what we Samanas search for, O exalted one. If I merely were one of your disciples, O venerable one, I'd fear that it might happen to me that only seemingly, only deceptively, myself would be calm and be redeemed. But that, in truth, it would live on and grow. For then I had replaced myself with the teachings, my duty to follow you, my love for you, and the community of the monks. With half of a smile, with an unwavering openness and kindness, Gotama looked into the stranger's eyes and bid him to leave with a hardly noticeable gesture. You are wise, Osamana, the venerable one smoke. You know how to talk wisely, my friend. Be aware of too much wisdom. The Buddha turned away, and his glance... And half of a smile remained, forever etched in Siddhartha's memory. I have never before seen a person glance and smile, sit and walk this way, he thought. Truly, I wish to be able to glance and smile, sit and walk this way too. Thus free, thus venerable, thus concealed, thus open, thus childlike and mysterious. Truly, only a person who has succeeded in reaching the innermost part of his self would glance and walk this way. Well, so, I also will seek to reach the innermost part of myself. I saw a man, Siddhartha thought, a single man, before whom I would have no have to lower my glance. I do... Not want to lower my glance before any other, not before any other. No teachings will entice me any more since this man's teachings have not enticed me. I am deprived by the Buddha, thought Siddhartha. I am deprived, and even more, he has given it to me. He has deprived me of my friend, the one who had believed in me and now believes in him who had been my shadow and is now Gotama's shadow, but he has given me Siddhartha, myself. When Siddhartha left the grove where the Buddha, the perfected one, stayed behind, where Govinda stayed behind, then he felt that in this grove his past life also stayed behind and parted from him. He pondered about this sensation which filled him completely as he was slowly walking along. He pondered deeply, like diving into a deep water. He let himself sink down to the ground of the sensation, down to the place where the causes lie. Because to identify the causes, so it seemed to him, is the very essence of thinking. And by this alone sensation turned into realizations and are not lost, but become entities and start to emit like rays of light what is inside of them. Slowly walking along, Siddhartha pondered. He realized 
that he was no youth anymore, but had turned into a man. He realized that one thing had left him, as a snake is left by its old skin. That one thing no longer existed in him, which had accompanied him throughout his youth, and used to be part of him, the wish to have teachers, and to listen to teachings. He had also left the last teacher who appeared on his path. Even him, the highest and wisest teacher, the most holy one Buddha, he had left him, had to part with him, was not able to accept his teachings. Slower he walked along in his thoughts and asked himself, But what is this? What you have sought to learn from teachings and from teachers and what they who have taught you so much were still unable to teach you. And he found it was the self, the purpose and essence of which I sought to learn. It was the self. I wanted to free myself from which I sought to overcome, but I was not able to overcome it, could only deceive it, could only flee from it, only hide from it. Truly, no thing in this world has kept my thoughts thus busy as this my very own self. This mystery, this mystery <laughs> of me being alive, of me being one and being separated and isolated from all others, of me being Siddhartha. And there is no thing in this world I know less about than me, about Siddhartha. Having been pondering while slowly walking along, he now stopped at these thoughts, caught hold of him, and right away another thought sprang forth from these, a new thought, which was that I know nothing about myself, that Siddhartha has remained thus alien and unknown to me, stems from one cause, a single cause. I was afraid of myself. I was fleeing from myself. I searched Atman, I searched Brahman, I was willing to dissect myself and peel off all of its layers to find the core of all peels in its unknown interior, the Atman life, the divine part, the ultimate part, but I have lost myself in the process. Siddhartha opened his eyes and looked around, a smile filled his face and a fleeing feeling of Awakening from long dreams flowed through him from his head down to his toes, and it was not long before he walked again. Walked quickly like a man who knows what he has got to do. Oh, he thought, taking a deep breath. Now I would not let Siddhartha escape from me again. No longer I want to begin my thoughts and my life with Atman and with the suffering of the world. I do not want to kill and dissect myself any longer to find a secret behind the runes. Neither Yoga, Veda shall teach me any more, nor Atharva, Veda, nor the ascetics, nor any kind of teachings. I want to learn from myself. Want to be my student. Want to get to know myself. The secret of Siddhartha. He looked around as if he was seeing the world for the first time. Beautiful was the world. Colorful, color, colorful was the world. Strange and mysterious was the wor world. 
Here was blue. Here was yellow. Here was green. The sky and the river flowed. The forest and the mountains were rigid. All of it was beautiful. All of it was mysterious and magical. And in its midst was he, Siddhartha, the awakening one, on the path to himself. All of this, all this yellow and blue, river and forest, entered Siddhartha for the first time through the eyes. Was no longer a spell of Mara, was no longer the veil of Maya, was no longer a pointless and coincidental diversity of mere appearances, despicable to the deeply thinking Brahmin who scorns diversity, who seeks unity. Blue was blue, river was river, and if also in the blue and the river, in Siddhartha, the singular and divine lived hidden. So it was still that very divinity way and purpose to be here yellow, here blue, there sky, there forest, and here Siddhartha. The purpose and the essential properties were not somewhere behind the things they were in them, in everything. How deaf, deaf and stupid have I been, he thought, walking swiftly along. <laughs> when someone reads the text, wants to discover its meaning, he will not scorn the symbols and letters and call them deceptions, coincidence, and wordless hull. But he will read them. He will study and love them, letter by letter. But I, who wanted to read the book of the world and the book of my own being, I have, for the sake of a meaning, I had anticipated before I read, scorned the symbols and letters. I called the visible world a deception, called my eyes and my tongue coincidental and worthless forms without substance. No, this is over. I have awakened. I have indeed awakened and have not been born before this very day. And thinking these thoughts, Dartha stopped once again, suddenly as if there was a snake lying in front of him on the path. Because suddenly he had also become aware of this. He, who was indeed like someone who had just woken up, or like a newborn baby, he had to start his life anew and start again at the very beginning. When he had left in this very morning from the grove, Jetavana, the grove, the exalted one, Already awakening, already on the path towards himself, he had every intention regarding, regarded as natural and took for granted that he, after years as an ascetic, would return to his home and his father, but now only in this moment when he stopped as if a snake was lying on his path, he also awoke to this realization, but I am no longer the one I was. I am no ascetic anymore. I am not a priest anymore. I am no Brahmin anymore. Whatever should I do at home and at my father's place, study, make offerings, practice meditation. But all this is over. All of this is no longer alongside my path. Motionless, Sasartha remained standing there. And for the time of one moment and breath, his heart felt cold. He felt a cold in his chest as a small animal, a bird or a rabbit, would when seeing how alone he was. 
For many years, he had been without home and had felt nothing. Now he felt it. Still, even in the deepest meditation, he had been his father's son, had been a Brahmin of a high caste, a cleric. Now he was nothing but Siddhartha, the awoken one. Nothing else was left. Deeply he inhaled, and for a moment he felt cold and shivered. Nobody was thus alone as he was. There was no nobleman who did not belong to the noblemen, no worker that did not belong to the workers and found refuge with them, shared their life, spoke their language, no Brahmin who would not be regarded as Brahmins and lived with them, no ascetic who would not find his refuge in the caste of the Samanas, and even the most forlorn hermit in the forest was not just one and alone, he was also surrounded by a place he belonged to. He also belonged to a caste in which he was at home. Govinda had become a monk, and a thousand monks were his brothers, wore the same robes as him, believed in his faith, spoke his language. But he, Siddhartha, where did he belong to? With whom would he share his life? Whose language would he speak? Out of this moment, when the world melted away all around him, when he stood alone like a star in the sky, out of this moment of a cold and despair, Siddhartha emerged, more a self than before, more firmly concentrated. He felt this had been the last tremor of the awakening, the last struggle of this birth. And it was not long until he walked again in long strides, started to proceed swiftly and impatiently, Heading no longer for home, no longer to his father, no longer back.